Hey there, brave fundraisers. Welcome to episode 107 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants some ideas and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. So I hope you're doing okay as many of us head into the autumn and winter and I realise that fundraisers in some charities have already been facing some tough times, not least because of some of the effects of the cost of living crisis on our supporters and on ourselves. So in my recent Breakfast Club for Fundraising Leaders, I delivered a presentation in which I shared several things I think can help charities as we head towards a winter in which those challenges are likely to keep coming. And although I don't have time to share the whole thing on this show, as I try and keep these episodes in manageable listens of half an hour or less, I did want to reshare the first half of that talk I gave recently in case it helps you. So in this excerpt, I'm going to cover three key ideas that I think should help most fundraisers at the moment. The first fundraiser I'll be referring to is a very resourceful leader named Davinia Batley, who was the head of fundraising at Become when she appeared on episode 62 of this podcast. So let's get straight into the first thing to prioritise and why I think it's going to be more important than ever in the coming months. You don't need me to tell you that in tough economic times when people are having to make difficult choices about how they spend their money, inevitably fundraising gets hard in various ways as well, obviously hitting individual giving income and sponsorship income, but across the board, not least because it's not only about the finite financial resources people have got, but also if we're about to have a winter with some strikes and yet more bad news with prices and inflation, the media message will repeatedly be causing people to be more worried about their money. All of these things are going to hurt. Not least also, you know, the impact on yourself, people in your team who are worrying about their own ability to put food on the table and so on. There just are obviously some challenges coming and likely, you know, usually I do my best to be optimistic, but in case things go from bad to worse this winter, I wanted to share some things that might just help. Inevitably, you're probably already doing some or all of these, but there's a big difference between having a, a good idea and managing to execute either yourself or managing to get your team to follow through on a sensible approach uh, to fundraising difficult times. So with that in mind, I wanted to share some things and hopefully my, my examples or something about the way I do it might just help you hold your nerve and follow through and do some things to help you succeed this autumn and winter. I wanted to start with this brilliant talk. Some of you know Davinia. She did a talk at Breakfast Club in 2021 about her experiences of the pandemic in 2020. And she also shared that story in episode 62 of my podcast. And the gist of how she started was in March 2020, she, she, she was just for whatever reason, she could tell that this wasn't just going to be a one-month nightmare. She had a feeling it was going to go on for some time. And she had the wherewithal to think, what is my normal strategy when times get hard? Normally, she says, I just double down and work harder. But I've just realised that wasn't going to be tenable if this pandemic lockdown headaches are going to go on and on. So that's not an option. What am I going to do differently in this very special crisis? And what she decided to do was make choices about how she was going to be and what values she was going to prioritise in her own leadership behaviour from the start to give her and her team a chance of surviving this difficult crisis. And some of the values she talks about are kindness and growth mindset and learning 
and being a bit more nimble and quick to move in these tumultuous times. First of those, she's really clear, is kindness was the most important. I've got to be kind to myself. I can't get everything right, but I've got to keep plugging away and forgive myself, but be, be kind to myself where I can, look after myself and extend that kindness to my team. So that's our culture and kindness to our donors. They send out loads of proactive, lovely messages, not asking for such stuff, but just appreciating people. So without going into all of those values she talks about, I suggest four of the things I'm going to tell you today are fundraising approaches. But the first one is, frankly, the most important is how are you going to manage your state across this metaphorical winter that is coming, literal and, frankly, metaphorically, the winter is might be longer than the real winter. How are you going to manage your state? Because unless you're in a, your morale is OK and your energy levels are OK, and you have some sense of optimism. It's really hard to lead and implement the other four main things. So idea one for how you do that. I mean, easy to say that, Rob. I know it's hard to do that. Before autumn starts, I suggest step one is to do what Davinia did and reflect, see what might come, not to panic you, but to make decisions about what values you'll prioritise. Idea two, this came from Di Gornall, who is now at Sustrans. She was at Centrepoint, I think, when I interviewed her in summer of 2020. She had done pretty well. I mean, lots of you done brilliantly through the pandemic, but her morale was pretty good. Her team were doing pretty well. They'd raised a lot of money. And I interviewed her to find out as a leader how her spirit's still quite good. She said that single most thing I've done isn't a fundraising thing. It isn't even a leadership thing, Rob. It's my 25 minute bike ride every morning. Almost every morning for that first three months of the pandemic, she would get up a bit earlier to do some exercise on her static bike. And then she'd shower and then come to be able to attack the tough decisions of pandemic and lockdown time, having looked after her own well-being and energy levels first. She talked about this book that both she and I have read and liked called The Miracle Morning. And the basic gist of the book is it's really tempting to get round to your exercise or your meditation, playing the piano, being grateful for five minutes, whatever your thing is that you know is good for you. It's so tempting to get round to it at lunchtime or in the evening. And Hal Elrod says that's usually too late because the day gets at you and then it doesn't happen. So the critical thing is before the day starts coming at you, do your 10 minutes of meditation or exercise or being grateful first. If you can just build that habit now as winter approaches, that's probably the, a practical thing that can make all the difference to, to you be able to handle the difficult stuff that then comes at you when your working day starts. And the third thing that can help with our morale, if you really study what changes the, our state from panicky and fearful to willing to be bold and on the front foot and so on and optimistic and positive energy. One thing is those kinds of morning habits that I mentioned, just sensible stuff like eating well, drinking water, exercise and so on. But another thing that affects how you feel is what your brain thinks things mean. And if we're not careful and we just do too much staring at our phones automatically just to stay informed, lots and lots of fear scary, difficult stories will keep coming at us from the media. So that doesn't help our state. The obstacle is the way really helped me through the pandemic. And the basic idea is in any difficult thing, even a really horrible, difficult thing, in addition to the negatives, usually, says Marcus Aurelius, there are opportunities within those difficult things. And you can probably remember 
some things across the pandemic turned out to be positives, relative positives that you wouldn't now have achieved had it not been for the pandemic. Brian Holiday says, right from the start, when a crisis is coming, be determined to seek out the positives it brings as well as the obvious negatives. And just one of the people that really inspired me recently was when I talked to Phoebe Cooper. She works in individual giving at the animal charity, the RSPCA, quite a well-known charity. And she came on the podcast episode 100 and she talked about this concept of the obstacle is the way that she'd heard on my, my podcast and my breakfast clubs. And there's something about it just resonated with her. So she talks about things she and her colleagues have done across the last three, four, five months where she's quite deliberately been on the front foot. Now, again, I'm well aware lots of you guys have already done really good stuff to do with the cost of living. So I'm not saying she's any different, but two or three of these success stories really appealed to me. She's already really early on. She went to talk to her supporter care team about what happens if people need to call up to potentially cancel. And she worked with them and they brainstormed things that you can do. And the key insight, which is really interesting to me, is she got donor focused, which is it's not money or no money. People like animals or don't like animals. Her insight was if someone loves animals, they've been supporting us for years. They probably really don't want to have to call us to stop giving and lose the identity of that is really cherished and proud for them of not being able to do their bit for a cause they deeply care about. That's a horrible call to have to make. So let's get empathetic with them. And just listen, sympathise if they need and want to cancel, totally do that. Also offer them other options for how you can still carry on being a lover of animals and a supporter of the RSPCA. And that led to various different options in terms of breaks from paying and carry on supporting, but only £2 a month and get involved in campaigning if you need to cancel, various things. And all credit to her colleagues who've done brilliant effort in taking those calls and and having some great conversations with their supporters. Secondly, in the summer, let's get ahead of it. They send out a thank you message from the chief exec saying, in these tough times, we're especially grateful for you looking out for animals And we understand that times are tough, but if you are able to keep supporting, that's wonderful. And please look at this wonderful film. There's a link to a brilliant film they put together, which is quite raw, but really passionate messages from people on the front line protecting animals, thanking donors into the camera for what they do. Well, that whole initiative came from the concept of the obstacle is the way. How can we be proactive and find opportunities rather than reactive in these difficult times? And lastly... She and her colleagues have got really curious about how they can encourage people to understand and claim more gift aid. And without going into all the detail, last time of counting, that was a value of a quarter of a million pounds. They've proactively generated through telephone calls rather than what many people do is, is send letters and emails, telephone calls to help people understand gift aid. And like she says, it's not just income so far. Now that they've, they've signed up for gift aid, it'll be future income as well. She took proactive different takes on how you can help someone understand gift aid, basically. All those three things come from the concept of the obstacle is the way, which is not easy to do when times are tough and you're cold. <laughs> but if you can look after yourselves and find the energy for searching, then apart from anything else, it's a great survival strategy because you feel you're on the front foot rather than on the back foot of these horrible world events. Hi, it's Rob. And just before we carry on with the next two ideas, I wanted to briefly let you know about our training and inspiration club for fundraisers, the Bright Spot Members Club, which is where we've published the full video version of this presentation that this audio version has been taken from. If you'd like to know more about how our training club works, including the combination of weekly workshops and the library of training films, 
Here is a short clip from one of our members, Hannah Carter, who's the leader of a small arts charity in the UK. Um, I think this way of learning for me just fits in much better with the with my workload. You've got so many different resources online that you can just tap into when you need them. And so many different experts that you've brought to your programmes that actually, I think I would struggle to be able to persuade my board of trustees to spend hundreds of pounds sending me on a, a three, four day training course when actually there's really good value for money in in your series. And Rob, you bring some really fantastic speakers and professional fundraisers to your series and um, you know it some of the sessions may be very short but actually that really suits my style of learning so I think actually you know I, I would say to someone just just give it a go. If you'd like to find out more about how the club works go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Right now let's get back to my talk as I share two more concepts I think will help most fundraisers in this difficult economic climate. Idea two, I know this is really obvious, but when there's really difficult times because of costs or fear or whatever it might be, it might be obvious to you and your colleagues about how that's making life for your beneficiary group you serve harder. But the more you can find the detail and spell out why life is harder for certain people now, that can make all the difference. I was talking to someone who works for an arthritis charity, and they were telling me about someone who was on Panorama talking about the pain, the agony they get from their arthritis is worse than when they had cancer and the tough treatments treating cancer, that the arthritis agony is worse. And the single thing that is most relieving of that pain is a hot bath. And he said, my supporters aren't necessarily thinking cost of living crisis, fuel's expensive. I bet arthritis people, have, that's hurting their pain relief right now. So the ability to explain that the one thing that can help with someone's pain, hot bath, is no longer available to them if money is, is tough. Being able to explain those not obvious details is a powerful discipline that potentially for your team to practice. So idea one, what's hard? Even if it's obvious, what's harder for your beneficiary group now? Crucially, an interesting question is, What's not immediately obvious, it's obvious to your colleagues, but what's not obvious to the lay person about why that's harder now during this winter or these political events? And crucially, the more real examples you can get flowing through your organisation makes all the difference. I know that it's not always easy to get these real examples. There are challenges that as a leader you need to solve. But if you'd like some encouragement and tactics and more examples, do listen to episode 98 of my podcast where Ben Swart and I are just helping with various approaches to help you get your team these examples they can share with their supporters. Um, next idea, it's part of the human condition, I think, that when people are complaining, oh, there's an obvious problem, most of your working day goes to solving that difficult thing, um, which often leaves relatively little time to go to the people who are just cheerful and happy and not being a squeaky wheel, if you see what I mean. Whereas this Forrester research says, if you proactively go to the people who really like your charity and are not problematic, that in commercial terms leads to nine times more growth and income than spending all your time solving the problems. And the, the key insight here is, I mean, it's always true, but it's especially true to tune into it now this winter. Some of the people who support your charity care more deeply than others. And some of the people in any market, corporate, major gifts, individual giving, some of them 
actually are more inclined and able to want to be generous, even in tough times, than others. So there's various ways of you trying to work out who is who. But even at a common sense level, my third tip is do your best to apply the 80-20 principle. If you know the Pareto law, the 80-20 principle, that 80% of revenue in most companies tends to come from just a smaller number, 20% of those big spending clients. So the better you look after those, the more you're likely you are to get the 80%. And um, at its simplest, I suggest, who, if you've got 30 major donors, who are the top five? Can you give them more love this winter than normally they might get? Same for corporates, same for clubs and associations. Of course, we'd love to do wonderful thanking and stewardship for all of them. And you might be, need to be efficient in some ways. But if you've only time to make three calls a week, know who must get those calls proactively, because they might not be making a problem for you and asking for attention, being proactive for the top 20%. Um, so there's a really good example on episode 100 of Rachel Katola. And she tells the story of a donor who was giving £50 a month and once or twice a year gave £1,000 a month. In March 2020, they gave an extra 500. She called up to make a thank you call and then carried on sending nice thank you letters and calls with impact stories across the year. Fast forward to May 2021, that donor cancelled their £50 a month gift and set up a £1,000 a month, every month gift. And he said it was because of all these amazing, lovely, no one else sends me lovely thank you letters. So even if thank you cards seems obvious to you, to them, it may well be a massive wow that's completely different to everything else coming through their letterbox that month. So Rachel, she was proactive with the ones that could obviously do more. And she was really disciplined about following through on that. If all of your team are able to identify their top 20%, even if they don't instantly start, identifying the top 20% is a valuable discipline in and of itself. I hope you found these ideas and examples helpful. To quickly recap on the main points... Although there are, of course, plenty of things fundraisers need to pay attention to this autumn and winter, I suggest that three important ones are as follows. Firstly, most crucially of all, do things to look after your own state, your own well-being, your own mindset. For instance, that could include reflecting now, like Davinia had done early in the pandemic, to decide in advance what values you're going to prioritise. And another thing you can do is to build the habit of looking after yourself first on any given day, as suggested by the excellent book, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Also, choose what this time of challenge is going to mean to you. If you possibly can, be on the lookout for opportunities to help your charity's fundraising improve in spite of, or even because of, the difficult times, which is what Phoebe and her colleagues have been doing in line with the philosophy that we discuss in episode 100, The Obstacle is the Way. So if you're doing these kinds of things to look after your state and mindset, I think you'll have a far better chance of implementing any other helpful approaches this winter. And then the second main idea I suggested is that we be proactive in showing our supporters the implications of the cost of living crisis on the people or animals or environments that we serve. In particular, Look out for what's not immediately obvious about the problems they're facing more than ever now. And do your utmost to find and share real examples or stories that help people connect to and feel these challenges. And then the third main idea is to recognise that some people have the capacity and the motivation to do more for your charity this winter than others. So thoughtfully apply the 80-20 principle and identify that smaller number in any fundraising group and find ways to add extra value to those relationships. 
Now, just before I finish, if you've not yet subscribed, please do that today so you can get instant access to all our other episodes, including the ones I've mentioned in today's show. If you'd like to see a full transcript and a summary of today's episode, go to the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And in case you're not already on our mailing list, I'll include a link there so you can sign up to hear about our future quarterly Breakfast Club for Fundraising Leaders. And if you're interested in finding out more about our training and inspiration club for fundraisers, the Brightspot Members Club, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or if you'd like to find out about team discounts, send me a message via the Brightspot Fundraising website. If you found today's episode helpful, please do share it on with anyone you know who you think might benefit so that we can get these ideas out to help as many charities as possible as winter approaches. Let me know what you think and you can tag me on Twitter at at Woods underscore Rob or find me on LinkedIn as Rob Woods. Finally, thank you for listening today and good luck looking after yourself as you rise to the various challenges and opportunities you face in the coming months. (laughs) 